Stand with me if you're able in honor of the word of God as I read Lamentations 3, 16 through 24. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keely. You may be seated. It's good to have you all here uh, today. Enjoy the word of God. We are reading the Bible together. <clears throat> we finished Jeremiah and just finished Lamentations. And so I'll be preaching, as you heard the word uh, today from Lamentations 3, verses 16 through 24. Lamentations is a a poem, and it's written very uh, orderly and methodically. It is an acrostic, which uh, in the Hebrew, it has 22 letters in it. So they begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That starts the first verse. And they go through 22 verses. And then at the end of the chapter 1, chapter 2 does the same thing. And then in chapter 3, you have 66 verses. And so you have that repeated three times perfectly in order. That helps a lot of things. And it actually has a message with it uh, of order. And it uh, also helps you in memorization if you want to memorize the word. And so in chapter 4... It's 22 verses again from, for us, it would be from A to Z, <laughs> starting with A, going through Z, every uh, verse starting with that letter. And then chapter 5 is actually 22 letters again, but they're not in order. That might say something too. So they're not in alphabetical order. It, it is 22 verses. It uses the letters of the writer, but they're uh, kind of jumbled up there. And so we see that this in itself speak something to us. I want us to know that because what we're looking at right now is the very uh, center of Lamentations, the the very middle of it, and that is where uh, the core, uh, central, most important highlight and message is. And uh, as I was talking uh, with Jonathan uh, this morning, he brought that up, that uh, uh, the way the Hebrews uh, wrote, rather than uh, a poem building, building, and building, and climaxing at the end with a high point, it actually climaxes in the center. And so in 3, if you want to look at um, verse 31, 32, 33, it's one sentence right there, and it talks about the, the steadfast love of the Lord. But I wanted us to look and in, in just briefly at this masterfully written poem and we want to see God's unceasing mercy 
and that within that unceasing mercy and love of God is uh, our only hope. So I titled this uh, Hope in God. That last verse says, therefore I will hope in Him. And it, it, it very much is the focal point of despite all this lament, the process of lamenting leads us and ends us with a great hope in God and ultimately a great praise of God, of His glory. So this is where uh, lamentations will lead us, and it is the central message. So we will be looking at that lamenting is okay in these first verses, 16 through 18. We're going we're to see how lament is good, actually, and that even in the midst of saying things that, that are there in truth and feelings, that hope has perished. I mean, that's what he says. Uh, so you see hope being dealt with here in those first verses. Then led into our second point will be bowed down in prayer. You see uh, the, 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 the lamenter here uh, saying that, that prayer, bowing down to the Lord in prayer can renew our hope. And so we want to pray our tears to God. That's lamenting in prayer, biblical lament in prayer. And then our third point will be uh, that this biblical lament leads us to hope in God and ultimately praise in God. You ready for this journey? All right, let's go. Hope perished. That doesn't sound too fun, does it? Lamentations three sixteen through 18, you can actually read the whole rest of Lamentations is, is the perishing of of hope but i just picked out these few verses leading up to this central message of hope in lamentations 3:16 through 18 the word of the lord said he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes my soul is bereft of peace I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Wow. I mean, that's just a couple of verses there. Um, Teeth grinding on gravel. Um, Our words today would be uh, eating dirt. You might have heard that phrase. That's akin to the English phrase, eating dirt. Teeth grinding on gravel. I think I'd rather eat dirt. (laughs) I like our American English phrase a little better than teeth grinding on gravel. The lamenter here is moved from these first two chapters of lament to kind of a personalizing the lament, not only as God come against um, Israel and Jerusalem itself, like an enemy would to destroy it, but he's coming against him personally like an enemy. And this is what it feels like. It feels like eating dirt. It feels like chewing on gravel. It feels like cowering in ashes. It feels like a soul bereft of peace. There's just no, there's, there's no peace there. Bereft of it. Peace is left. Forgotten what happiness is. It takes me to images of Lord of the Rings and 
Sam there with Frodo on the mountain of doom, and they're in nothing but dark ashes, and there's no green life anywhere, and they come from, um, you know, their beautiful uh, village and green grass and rolling green hills and gardens and flowers, and they've been on this long journey of sadness trying to destroy this ring, and they're laying there, and Frodo's trying to destroy this ring of of just evil and power corrupting uh, within evil. And, and Sam's holding him and he says, remember the Shire, remember their home, you know, remember the strawberries and the fresh cream. And the, he's trying to, and he goes, I can't even see it anymore, Frodo says. I can't even imagine it anymore. I can't even dream it anymore. And Sam gets mad and just shakes him. You know, because he just hates to see the depth of hopelessness. And that's what we see here. We see that through Lamentations. It, it doesn't get any better than this when experiencing and talking and writing about a hopeless situation. This is a great written uh, poem of happiness, lost, endurance, perished, and so has my hope. Hope and endurance go together. And for uh, the Word of God, it's not trying to correct, it's not trying to say that this is wrong to actually express these kinds of feelings. Endurance and and hope go together. A lot of us might know uh, some part of some story about this test that was done with rats that were put in a bucket with water and they swim around there's several different tests that were done but one that I went back and revisited and reread was the 1950s test done by uh, Kurt Reichner a professor at John Hopkins he did a real thorough testing where he would take these rats put them in a bucket that swim around he took all kinds of domesticated rats he took wild rats he did all these testing to test all these variables but I won't go into the whole test with you but it was a test basically of what he wanted to see about hope and endurance about hope and resiliency about the resiliency uh, and and, 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 in creation and in rats specifically and so he took them and uh, some of them just swam around they down into the water. They explored the bottom. They swam up, and they're phenomenal surviving creatures uh, with great swimming ability and endurance, but he found that these rats died within two minutes. They, they dug, swam down, and they swam around, and they swam around, and they were like, they weren't exhausted. They just knew. There's nothing down there. There's nothing up here. I've gone around. There's no hope. Boom. Died in a couple of minutes. As I said, I won't go into all the tests and all the different variables, but what he did at the end was he took some uh, rats and right at that point where they were drowning, uh, he rescued them. Some people put a little ledge up just out of nowhere, just, and they were swimming around and around, and they found this ledge right when they were about to give up and die. And they'd get up on that ledge, and, and, then, they'd, you know, and then he would remove the ledge, and they'd start swimming again, and they'd go for days just with that one, like, there's something here. There could be something here. There, there, something's going to be there. Something's going to be there. And they would la- could last for days swimming. 
It's amazing. Others died in two minutes. But with that one glimmer of hope, so the power of the resiliency of hope within us. And this is what this really scripture is about. It's about lamenting. It's about a hopelessness situation. And in this hopeless situation, there arises uh, some hope. In, in Romans uh, 5, 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, know that our, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and that endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This process of lamenting is like this process of going through suffering. Suffering produces that endurance. Endurance and hope go together because endurance produces that character, that not giving up resiliency, and that character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. See, there's hope here. This, this lamenter is talking about hope, and he's admitting giving up on hope and being in a hopeless situation, but he is still processing this with God. He's saying in, in this scripture... The word of the Lord in in Romans 3, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out. And that's what we're going to look at, the steadfast love of the Lord, the chesed love of the Lord, the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. This is what, you know, uh, Paul in writing in Romans is saying, hope does. Hope comes and springs forward. And that brings us to um, our, our next point, hope renewed. In Lamentations three nineteen through 21, remember my afflictions. So he's turning to the Lord after this statement of his feelings of this hopeless situation. He says, remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. I'm like stuck in this, God. You know, help me. I'm just remembering it. But it's, he says, and is bowed down within me. Here's where prayer comes in. My soul is bowed down in me. I'm praying inside. My soul is humbled before you, God, and bowed down before me. And he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So right after mentioning that hope has perished, endurance and hope has perished, he springs forward here and calls to mind in prayer God is still there. God is still good. And he says, I still have hope. So hope is beginning to be renewed through this process of bowing down in his soul. Uh, Tim Keller preached a sermon not on this text but through the Psalms because the Psalms are full of laments. In fact, when theologians break down the Psalms, they say the greatest number of Psalms are laments. The greatest, they're like lamentations. In fact, a lot of lamentations is you know, you can find different verses and psalms that match them. They're lamenting psalms. And, and, and Keller preaches this sermon called Praying Our Tears. And so this hope renewed is, is what's happening here with this uh, writer of lamentations. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Sowing our tears. Now, if we've read the history of Jeremiah and we've read the history reading uh, the Bible together, we have seen that what's happening is uh, the people of Israel, the people of God, are being taken into captivity into Babylon. And Jerusalem itself, 
This is the final siege is around Jerusalem, and it's a horrible, miserable situation in which they surround cities and starve them to death and shut them off from water and, and just slowly siege them till they give up. And this is the lamentator is, is talking about that siege on Jerusalem and Jerusalem itself being destroyed and the horribleness of the situation of, I know it's in the Bible, but it says mothers eating their babies, things like that, that siege, that starvation, that horribleness. You can't get much worse of a situation of knowing what the, de- the depths of war and siege and starvation will lead you uh, to do. But the writer has seen and, and heard of these things happening in this siege, and it's that depressing. But hope is being renewed here. There, the, the lamenter is sowing his tears. His tears are having purpose. I, I love the way Keller brings out that the gospel always presents a third way. And so he mentions that religion wants you to deny your feelings. Just don't feel any of that kind of stuff. Don't ever feel it. Just say, oh, you know, bless the Lord. I'm doing good and I'm blessed and highly favored. No matter what's going on in your life, just focus on that. And religion wants to teach you that. But the Bible doesn't. The Bible says that feelings are real and they need to be expressed and they need to be processed healthily. Grieving is a process and it might take a long time. You're not to stay stuck in there. They're not to be their ultimate ruler over your life and that's what the world and the culture says. So the world says, deny, um, the religion says deny your feelings. The secular world and culture wants you to bow down to your feelings, not bow down to the Lord, bow down to your feelings and make them supreme. Like, oh, well, if you feel like you need to do it, you need to do it. Because those feelings are telling you, they're, they're, they're up here. So just the opposite, you know, the religion is telling you deny your feelings. The world is saying make your feelings supreme. Both are wrong. Well, we can't just deny our feelings and we can't just vent them all out and let them run wild. But we must process them, is what the scripture says, before the Lord. We must bring them to the Lord. So we don't deny, we don't stuff, and we don't just superficially get over it and do whatever we feel and submit to feelings. But the gospel, the third way, is to pray your tears and sow your tears. And Psalm 126 is this beautiful uh, scripture about sowing tears. Verse 5 of that psalm says, Those who sow in tears... Listen to that. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. This is a picture, a metaphor of a, of a, a farmer going out and sowing seed And then coming back with sheaves, they would take the grain and harvest them in big bundles and wrap them in the center. And they would take those bundles and then you would would thresh them and beat them and get the grain out. But that time of bringing in those big sheaves and carrying them in was a time of joy. But going out and sowing was a time of sorrow with tears. The verse right uh, before those who sow in tears said, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. It's like the streams in the Negev is a, is a dry and barren desert. Lord, restore, restore us like that. Bring this hope back. Renew our hope like water, like streams in the desert. What a metaphor. What a metaphor. 
It's, it's like Sam holding Frodo and shaking him and saying, remember the Shire. Remember the streams. Remember the water. Remember the green grass. Remember the strawberries and cream. Remember all that we had. You know, keep that. And he had lost that. And this psalm even opens with that in 126. When 126, it says, Restore the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. It was literally like a dream. The restoration was so, so beautiful happening. And this whole psalm is in the present tense. And it says, Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy when they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And then he says again, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the negative. Bring those streams, those waters. He's saying these tears, biblical lamenting, when you take your tears and you don't just deny them, don't cry, don't be sad, no, that's bad, and, or when you say, yeah, just do that and get all caught up in your own self-pity and just do it forever and just follow wherever that leads us. The gospel way is this center of where we pray our tears. We sow our tears. We admit to God and we take our pain before the Lord and we give it to him. We sow those tears and we let him know how we feel and we express that to him. And this process of lamenting, what you see through lamentations is this process of lamenting that leads you to healing it leads you this process can and usually does take time it it takes time for you to express it takes time for God to be able to minister his healing power to you for Israel it took 70 years in captivity now there were false prophets that came in Jeremiah we read in Jeremiah 29 Uh, that came and they said, you'll only be there two years, it'll be over, don't worry about it. And Jeremiah says, you're going to be there 70 years. Build houses, get married, blossom there, pray for that nation, and just because you're going to be there. But all the other prophets were like, you know, saying to the king, why don't you do something with this Jeremiah guy? He's not with us. He's saying we're going to be there a long time, and he's written a letter to us saying to build houses there. They're mad. They want to just... Be over it. But God's not like that. Grieving process is in God's timing. And it's not always an easy, quick fix. And we want that. We want that for ourselves. We want those false prophet lies, man. We want that quick fix and that quick answer. Just shuffle it off. Wad it up in like a big ball and just throw it in the trash can and forget it. But it's not the way of the word. Biblical lamenting takes time. Proper lamenting and healing uh, works through this process and we see it. In this poem of Lamentations, we must remember and come to this point of remembering God's unchanging and steadfast love for us. His never giving up on us, who he is, not who we are or who our feelings are and let them dictate us. There are people who get stuck in these emotions. Uh, they, They relive them all the time and the pain seems to get worse and worse and worse instead of get better. They only feel sad and sorrowful for themselves, and they go down into this pit of despair, and that's not where God takes us in the Psalms or in Lamentations. He brings us to this point, this central point in Lamentations of great hope. And even in this uh, poem of, of uh, Psalm 126, we go, uh, the, the great writer Uh, I call him a great writer. My dad loved this song, actually, uh, Bringing in the Sheaves. It was a hymn, uh, or just a gospel song. Some people don't qualify it as a hymn. 
uh, written. My dad would go around the house singing it, and he sang it so much uh, that at his funeral, uh, he died when I was 18, and, and uh, he was killed in a car accident. And when we did his funeral, we sang this song, Bringing in the Sheaves. And the, and the final uh, stanza of it says, and it's built just on these two verses of Psalm 126, Going forth with weeping, sowing for the Master, Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And the chorus is just bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And it's just on this psalm, and it's a way of sowing your tears. It's a way of, of letting grief and sorrows and, and the sorrow that, that death does bring, but we sorrow not as those without hope, but with great hope. And the lamenter here brings forth this great hope and the unchanging, steadfast love of the Lord. And so our point, third point, is hope in God. And that's where he arrives in verse 24. He says, therefore, thus my, after the soul bowing down before God and praying and sowing those tears with purpose, not denying them and not just venting them, but sowing them um, uh, in prayer to God, his soul bowed down before the Lord. Now his soul says, therefore I will hope in him. That was, that was my title just from that. Therefore, therefore after this, I will hope in him. My portion, he said, like, like the Levites, my portion is God. My portion is him, not my circumstances. My portion is him. It is who he is, his unchangingness, his unchanging, steadfast love. God, he was the Levite's portion. He was their inheritance. And this writer is saying this, the Lord is my portion. He is my everything. If I have him, do I still have hope? Oh, yeah, I have great hope because his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness toward me is unchanging. He's given us his greatest gift and his unchanging love. This points us to the new covenant about that God keeps his covenant faithfulness to the new covenant. And when Jesus is talking about his great love, his great love uh, in, the, in the last Passover, inaugurating the new covenant, he says, this is my body. He gives thanks to God for it. This is my body given for you. And he takes the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the new covenant. It's in that cup. It's the new covenant in his blood given for you. Jesus was about to give his all. He had given his all. And in the garden, he's in that dark place. 
that place of feeling that hopelessness, of crying out to God and not feeling and not knowing he's there, lamenting in that hopeless situation where he has to obey God about the tree. Obey me, son, about the tree. And he succeeds like Adam failed about the tree. He succeeds and he goes to the cross. And on that cross, darkness comes. The judgment of God for all, all, all of God's people's sins comes upon him. And he cries out in that forsakenness. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus is forsaken so that we can be accepted. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, think about this, the ultimate gift of God, who would not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Will it be easy for him to give us all things after he's given us Jesus? Yes, because Jesus is the ultimate gift. And so God will never cast his people off because he has cast off his own son in their place. I love that. It kind of gave me goosebumps again. I don't know, that take a little while. I had to read it over again several times, but it's just rooted in that Romans 8.32. God will never cast off his people because he has cast off his own son in their place. He cast Jesus away so that he could receive you. This is the Hesed love of God, the covenant faithfulness like he knew man wouldn't live up to their end of the bargain and fulfill their covenant side of it. And so he gave his only son and made the covenant with his eternal son so they could fulfill that promise, so God could fulfill his promise to you. That's his steadfast love. That's his covenant faithfulness. That's his unending mercies that are new every day in Christ Jesus. This is the beauty of of the grace and the mercies of God. I love the imagery that Isaiah brings in Isaiah 61.3 says, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes. Yes, those who mourn in Zion, those who mourn, who lament, this is what I'm going to give them, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And that's where lamenting gets us, is hope in God and ultimately healing from God and ultimate praise of God. So the, the last five psalms of psalms are just like ultimate praise of God. The Psalms are a whole story, as I mentioned, of the majority of lamenting, but it ends in hope in God and praise and glory to God. So hold on. Hold on to hope. Hope in God and his mercies that never come to an end, for great is his faithfulness. Amen? Amen. We're going to take communion together. We have these little cups in the seats in front of us. If you'd like to join us, 
You put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You're welcome to join us. Some more afternoon rains coming. On the bottom, uh, pull that and the bread will come out. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat of it. Let's break it and, get, and take it together. Father, it was a body that you desired. And the body of Christ was given freely. He willingly went to the cross. We thank you for the purifying effect of the atonement of Christ that in his body there was no sin. Even in his tongue and his words, there was no offense to you. He perfectly pleased and satisfied your holy nature, your holy law. We thank you so much for the body of Jesus. In the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Do this in the remembrance of me. Let us take this and remember Christ and his shed blood. Thank you, God, our Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his blood shed upon that tree that ran down that cursed tree that Jesus became a curse for us so that we could receive your blessing, the blessing of your forgiveness, the blessing of your promise fulfilled, your covenant faithfulness, steadfast love that would never give up on your people. Thank you for making us your very own possession through your blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you. Let us worship you. Let our end all of our laments, Lord, in praise to you, God. Let us praise you now together corporately as your body, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.